0: The Old Testament reading is taken from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and chapter 10, found in the Church Bibles on page 929. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nivea. Now Nivea was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into this city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nivea will be overthrown. The Niveites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest To the least, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The Bible, as most of you know, is filled with call stories. Many of them are in the Old Testament. The story from Jonah, which we heard a small part of, uh, would be an example of a a dramatic uh, call story. Uh, The call story I'm going to read uh, for you from Mark's Gospel, by contrast, is very brief. And uh, that brevity, terseness, is going to uh, seem clear to you when we look at it together. It's found in uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. And uh, I will read for you verses 14 through 20. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 14. After John, John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them and They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, you won't be surprised when I tell you that I've been doing a great deal of uh, looking back and uh, reflecting. In the last uh, few weeks, after nearly 40 years of ministry, there's a lot to look back on. Uh, I've noticed something, I I think, a pattern or a trend that actually fits with the theme of our scripture readings for today. When I was growing up, and you've heard me tell this story before, but please don't be like my daughters and and roll your eyes just because you've heard this before. Uh, When I was growing up, everyone I knew, uh, everyone who was important in my life was a Christian So doctor, dentist, uh, teachers, school principal, uh, neighbors, uh, everyone. Uh, Last time I told this story, someone challenged me uh, about uh, this story, and and she said, yes, Doug, but did they all accept Jesus Christ as their uh, personal Savior? In other words, maybe uh, they were not fully committed. To a child, they might have appeared that way. Maybe they weren't. Uh, Uh, And that's possible, of course, at the time in my world, uh, it was respectable to be a believer. Uh, People admired you for being a Christian, if you can believe that. And uh, I realize that that's just not true uh, anymore. There is no advantage today whatsoever uh, to being a a person of faith. In fact, just the opposite is true. Uh, People may think less of you, a lot less. Uh, They may even think you're not very bright or or that uh, you are mentally challenged. Uh, But looking back, the the people I knew and the people I saw every day at school and uh, at church and in my neighborhood were trying their best to live out their faith, uh, which is a remarkable thing, and it it greatly influenced me in in my own life. And I am a, a believer today in large part because of them. And I am standing in this pulpit today, in large part, uh, because of those people in my life. Uh, However, and and, and this is the reason I'm telling the story for the thousandth time, uh, most of the people I've worked with over the years, most of the people who showed up in my churches uh, over the years, uh, were not at all like the people I grew up with. Uh, And uh, maybe that's because I became a Presbyterian. That was supposed to be a funny line. Maybe it's, it's not to you, uh, to you at all. Uh, but whatever the reason, the people I have known and uh, the people I have worked with and the people I have uh, written sermons for over the years uh, seem to me to have struggled a great deal uh, with their faith. Uh, I think they wanted to believe. I think uh, the people I've known over the years have been attracted Uh, to Christian faith. I think they got up early on Sunday mornings and came to church with uh, good intentions, but often they couldn't quite bring themselves to what I would call total commitment, Uh, what uh, churches uh, today like to call fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For some reason, they would uh, hold themselves back. And and this is not a criticism, and, and I do not want you to hear this as a criticism. I dearly loved... Uh, The people uh, I was called to serve, most of them. Uh, But uh, I could often sense that they were uh, hesitant uh, about their faith. Uh, Believing it, uh, living it, totally embracing it. This was often a step that they could not take. You know, it's been interesting over the years uh, to listen to people, uh, tell me uh, where they are in their spiritual lives whenever I'm in a, a social setting. I sometimes hesitate to tell people what I do. Uh, because uh, I hear a lot of confessions when I reveal uh, what I do. uh, People will tell me how long it's been since they've been to church, or uh, they will tell me how they struggle with certain doctrines or or, or teachings of the church. Uh, Anyway, uh, the question uh, inevitably comes, what do you do? And since lying has never come easily to me, uh, I say, I'm a Presbyterian pastor, and I don't know why I put it that way. I guess it sounds better than saying I'm a Baptist pastor or uh, a Methodist pastor. And then sometimes people, when they hear what I do, they decide that it's time to leave that conversation. <laughs> they, <laughs> they notice that their glass needs to be refilled, and they, uh, they walk away. Uh, but surprisingly often, and uh, you might be surprised at, at how often uh, this happens, surprisingly often people will stick around. And uh, they will tell me their stories even when I don't ask to hear them. Uh, I was on an airplane not long ago, and I had a book in my hand, and I was looking forward to one or two hours of uninterrupted reading when the person next to me, uh, thinking that talking to a total stranger would be a great way to pass the time, uh, said, uh, so, what do you do? And, and, and for the rest of the flight, I was trapped in the window seat. Uh, listening to every reason that I have ever heard and a few that I have never heard for not embracing Christian faith. And I have to say, this man knew his Bible and uh, he had been to a large number of churches uh, in his life but then he found something not to like about each one of them. He just could not bring himself, he said, to to saying yes uh, to God's call in, in his life. He called himself, and I'll never forget this, he called himself an uncomfortable agnostic, uh, a term which describes a lot of people I know, and it it may describe you as well, uh, uncomfortable agnostic. And I wish that that story had a a dramatic ending. I I wish that we ended the conversation of prayer with him kneeling in the aisle, uh, maybe uh, praying the sinner's prayer. But the best I can hope for is that uh, with my patient listening, and some uh, careful responses, I helped him along in his uh, uncomfortable journey. When I was growing up, I, I thought that the number one reason for saying no to the call of God in, in my life was all the things I would have to give up in order to follow Him. In, in other words, saying yes to God meant saying no to a whole lot of fun stuff. And I might have to become a missionary. <laughs> or worse, uh, a monk. you know, and, and all I could think of was the, the crushing burden of trying to live my life in a way that would please God. Uh, because obviously, if it was pleasing to me, it could not be pleasing to God. All right? That's how I thought. Uh, interestingly, this is exactly how most people read the Jonah story. Isn't that right? All right? God called Jonah and uh, told him that his ministry was... Uh, to go to Nineveh, but no one wanted to live and work in in Nineveh. Just about everyone in Israel, including Jonah, hated Nineveh. And they assumed that God hated Nineveh too. So Jonah was someone I could identify with. He he wanted all of the earthly delights of, uh, of Tarshish and not the stinking swamp that was Nineveh. Unfortunately for him, he was shipwrecked, On his way to Tarshish, part of the story we did not hear today, he was swallowed by uh, a fish, not a whale. And I think you know the rest of the story. Jonah went to Nineveh eventually and hated every minute of it. Uh, I thought becoming a pastor uh, would be like going to Nineveh. And it it wasn't always uh, much fun, but then, hey, uh, whoever said that serving God uh, with your life would be fun all the time. Again, that's what I thought. A woman at my ordination, this was way back in in, uh, 1980, Uh, a woman at my ordination, she seemed very old to me at the time, 50s, uh, and then she gave me a big hug and she said, oh, it's a wonderful thing you are doing, young man, giving up all the pleasures of life to serve the Lord, (laughs) which is pretty much how I saw it too. So there I was, like Jonah, doing my best to be obedient, but not enjoying it very much at all. Uh, run away from God if you want, but God will find a way to drag you back to the life you do not want to live, all right? which is not exactly an inspiring message. All right? uh, and then, in, in the last few years, I think I came to a new appreciation. You were hoping I would get here eventually. I think I have come to a whole new appreciation for uh, the book of Jonah. The book, as it turns out, is not really about Jonah at all. Oh, He's interesting, and it's his story that draws us into the book. Right? Uh, we identify with him, or at least uh, I have identified with him uh, over the years. Uh, but the book, as is often the case with uh, stories in the Bible, is mainly about God. The book is about the surprising mercy of God. You know, the, uh, God, uh, the book tells us, changed his mind about some people. Which almost never happens. Or, or so we think, God promised judgments and then, oh my, God reconsidered. Or as the text puts it, he relented. Imagine that. Uh, God, as maybe you know, was moved by the the repentance of the people of Nineveh, who uh, were some of the least lovable people in the world. Uh, Who could have predicted that? Not Jonah. Not you or me, but that's who God is. Uh, Just when we think we have him figured out, uh, there he is again, our God, full of mercy. What God wanted from Nineveh, uh, excuse me, what God wanted from Jonah... Uh, as it turns out, and, and this was my own spiritual awakening, was not that Jonah give up his dreams of Tarshish. What God wanted from Jonah was this other thing, which was actually more profound. God wanted Jonah to understand that he, God, was a God of mercy. Someone who was capable of loving Ninevites. It was as though God said to Jonah, your understanding of me is incomplete. That there is so much more about me that that you need to know. Quite a long time ago uh, now, on my first uh, visitor pilgrimage to Israel, I led a group of 33 church members uh, to Israel. And we started our tour, as most tour groups do, in in the region of Galilee, the northern part of the, the country. And as part of our tour, we took a, a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, which I have to say uh, was an unforgettable experience. And at some point, all, as all of the boats do when they take this cruise, at some point the boat just stopped and the, the engine was turned off and we drifted around in silence. And in the silence I found my uh, Bible in, in my backpack and I began to read a gospel story uh, for members of my group about a boat ride that Jesus took. With his disciples, quite a moving thing to do. And if you have never done it, I hope you, you have the opportunity someday. Well, as I was reading, uh, I noticed four young men, uh, Israeli men, who, who were sitting in the back of the boat. They uh, were probably 18 or 19 years old. And they worked for the boat company. And their work consisted of getting us safely on board the boat at the beginning of the trip and then getting us safely off the boat at, at the end. And in between, they sat in the back of the boat, and they smoked cigarettes, and and they looked bored, and and here they were watching American tourists getting all misty-eyed about being on the Sea of Galilee. And suddenly, and I don't know where this thought came from, but suddenly I thought, Peter and Andrew and James and John, that's who those four young men were. Uh, working on the Sea of Galilee, dreaming about doing something better with their lives, anything else, bored and cynical about American tourists, cynical about other things too, I'm sure, wondering if young women ever travel to Israel. I'm just trying to get inside the mind of a young man. And, And then I thought, well, what did they see in Jesus? What did Peter and Andrew and James and John see in Jesus that would cause them to leave their fishing boats and follow him? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, have you ever thought about what their motivation was? Uh, Over the years, uh, uh, as was the case uh, with the Jonah story, I thought I saw in this story an example of unquestioning obedience. That's what God wanted from Jonah, and uh, that's what God wanted from Peter and Andrew and James and John, and that's what God wanted from me. They left everything behind, and would I be willing to do that? You know, and, and the the I guess the short answer to that is no. You know, not everything. Some things. Right? But, but not everything compared to Peter and Andrew and 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 James and John, I would be a half-hearted follower of Jesus Christ. Then later in my life, I I think I began to see this story differently. I began to ask, you know, how much did they really give up? (laughs) I mean, I'm always counting the cost uh, in in these situations. Uh, uh, were, We're fishing businesses on the Sea of Galilee in the first century all that lucrative, You know, in other words, was this story really about self-sacrifice and unquestioning obedience the thing that I was struggling with? I think that it was meeting these modern-day disciples on that boat, four young Israeli men who looked to me like Peter and Andrew and James and John, that changed my thinking about this story. What those young men left behind was not a lucrative fishing business. Their father may have thought it was worth something, and he probably wanted to leave the the, the business to his boys to take over one day. But let's be honest, it was a boat and some nets. It wasn't Amazon. What those young men left behind was an attitude. And it was a way of looking at the world. What they left behind was their cynicism and their boredom, and, and, and the kind of attitude that says, well, whatever. I and mean, have you ever noticed how an 18 or 19 year old can seem world weary? 18 or 19, and to be tired with the world. Jesus said, follow me, and, and, and what they really had to do was open themselves to a new way of thinking about their lives, and a, a, a new way of thinking about the world. What they had to do was embrace hope and and promise and possibility. The kingdom of God was among them. Uh, Life, Jesus seemed to say, life had had the potential to be so much more and and so much deeper and so much more meaningful. So what do you choose, Jesus asked them? Uh, Fishing with your father on this lake for the next 40 years? Uh, or risk it all for life in the kingdom of God. And for some reason, as you know, that's the most difficult choice that most people ever face. And I don't know why. But, but it is so easy to stay right where we are with, with dad and his boat. In, in, instead of following along after Jesus for the adventure of a lifetime. Last week I was reading an uh, interesting study about youth ministry. The author who uh, teaches youth and culture at the theological seminary that I attended uh, uh, was reflecting on where we've gone wrong with kids. Why is it, uh, she wanted to know, that most of our kids drop out of uh, church by age 17? Why is it that confirmation, instead of being an introduction uh, to a lifelong relationship with Christ, is more of a graduation ceremony for bored adolescents and worried parents. Uh, Parents who sometimes say, well, at least I don't have to fight that battle anymore. Uh, Girls, she writes, tend to exit the church, either mentally or physically, uh, at about age uh, 14 or 15, and boys somewhat earlier. Uh, Meanwhile, I think this is interesting too, youth ministers uh, have disappearing acts of their own. The average tenure, I don't know if you knew this, the average tenure for a youth, minister these days, these are statistics from the U.S., uh, is somewhere between 18 months and three years. Think about that. And over a third of all full-time youth ministers stay in their positions for less than a year. So uh, to insert my own footnote uh, into this story, the the Presbyterian Church, of which I'm a member, planned a a huge gathering uh, for youth on a New Year's Eve a few years ago. And uh, maybe you remember reading about this. It did make the news, not for the right reasons. Uh, The denomination rented a a large football stadium in Indianapolis, which seats at least 60,000 people. And they signed up a few uh, Christian rock groups, and and they uh, found a few big-name speakers, Uh, some of uh, the names uh, you would uh, recognize. And it was supposed to be the biggest youth gathering in the history of the Presbyterian Church, except it wasn't. In fact, uh, it may go down in church history as one of the biggest flops in the history of the church. Ninety percent, nine zero, ninety percent of the tickets went unsold, and the financial loss to the church was over three quarters of a million U.S. dollars. Tell me, uh, what was wrong with that picture? Uh, Kinda Dean, the scholar I've been referring to here, says that young people, teenagers, uh, haven't changed all that much since the first century A.D. Uh, Their developmental needs are pretty much the same today as they were 2,000 years ago. At a certain point in our lives, usually it happens during adolescence, we look for something to devote our lives to. And as Ken Dean puts it, uh, we look for a cause that we could die for. Something worthy of the gifts that we know we have inside of us. No one, as it turns out, is more open to the idea of a spiritual life than a teenager is, surprising as that may seem to us. Uh, I think that one of the reasons our own youth ministry here at at IPC has been refreshingly different is that we have been uh, offering our young people something other than entertainment, uh, which is what that gathering in the football stadium was all about. Uh, But even we can do better. And and the issue, it seems to me, has to do with the call of God in our lives. And so let me just put this uh, as clearly as I can so there is no mistaking what I mean. Do we see the call of God in our lives as our best hope, maybe our only hope, for meaning and purpose? Are, Are we willing to take the risk uh, letting go of the life we know for the promise of a life that is indescribably better. Frankly, my experience is that uh, you, you don't leave much behind. <laughs> uh, you may be surprised to hear me say that, but it's true. N- nothing I have ever missed. Uh, on the other hand, and I, I, I don't want to minimize uh, this either, When you respond to the call of God in your life, you leave everything behind, right? But what you leave behind is everything of no eternal value, right? And and what you gain is everything that matters. You know, I think that's about as basic as I can get. Uh, Unless the programs and ministries and Bible studies and so on of this church are about the call of God in our lives, his invitation to follow along, then we are wasting our time and our resources and our money. I hope that in everything we do here, not just in, in, in youth ministry, but in everything we do, that the question is, are we responding to the call of God in our lives? I can tell you this much. I am so glad that at a certain point in my life I left the boats and the nets and everything that seemed to matter so much and followed Jesus. It is a decision I do not regret. And the question is, what about you? Will you pray with me? Let us pray. Gracious God, we're so thankful for the witness of Peter and Andrew and James and John, for the courage that they had to walk away from their previous lives and to follow you. Help us to understand what motivated them. Help us to understand that the decision is about accepting a life worth living, a life that is indescribably good and rich and meaningful. Help us to make that decision as well. And we pray this in Christ's name.